You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone, Harsha here, and thank you all for joining in for another episode of Changing Reality. So for all of you who don't know, or if this is your first time watching, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are changing their reality in the little ways that they can and in the areas that they are passionate about. So here on this show, we'll be hearing from individuals all across the world who are making waves from um, people who are change makers, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, top executives, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals all around. We are interviewing voices from across the globe and also a couple here from the Penn campus as well. So from their inspiring stories on how they are changing their world around them, I hope that you guys can pick up a little bits of wisdom that you can use in your own life to see how you can make a difference too. Because for me personally, I wanted to do this show and um, I was so grateful that WQHS actually gave us the opportunity to have this because I feel like there are a lot of untold stories, a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things. And I'm super passionate about finding those hidden gems out there that you may not often hear from and bring them to light so that we can learn from the experiences of those who are actually running the world behind the scenes and in terms of today in front of the scenes a little too. So personally, I founded a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with our Malaysian Ministry of Education to provide alternative education platforms for any student who wants to change their own reality. We work with students from elementary all the way up to high school through various sessions, experiential learning uh, programs, projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them through interacting with top executives, working on projects with them so that they can come back and start their own careers while they're still in school. And these careers don't just create meaningful impact for themselves, but for those around them. So to date, we've worked with over 6,000 students in 270 different communities and have incubated student-run projects, social enterprises, and careers from students aged 8 to 21 years old, helping everyday students start to change their own reality. So if you have any questions about that, do drop it in the show below. But that's just a little bit that goes to show on why I feel that stories are important. Because the more we share our journey, the more we share what we've gone through, the more it stands and the higher chances there are that we will inspire someone else to do the same. And having met all of these students, I can tell you it does make a difference. We live in times where news governs our thoughts, perceptions, our views of the world and of ourselves at many times. And as we race to stay informed in an increasingly fast-paced world, it's often important to stop and appreciate those whose hard work actually makes it possible and fuels our thirst for information. So that is kind of the premise for today's episode. Uh, today's episode is actually inspired by many of the amazing students that I've had the pleasure to meet here on the Plan campus who aspire to pursue their dreams in the media arena themselves. But the question often is, how does one go from school paper to global newsroom? So to give us some meaningful insight on this, we have today the lovely Erica Hendry, who is the managing editor of digital at PBS NewsHour, where she drives and manages editorial content across PBS NewsHour's mobile and digital platforms, growing an engaging audience across the platform, um, while at the same time managing a team in uh, various projects that they work on. So from managing her teams and newsrooms to breaking news reporting herself, Erica is a force to be reckoned with in the media industry and is herself a seasoned multi-platform journalist with experience in various fields across the board. So without further ado, I think I would like to invite her on screen with us today. So Erica, thank you so much for joining us. Can you hear us? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. Hopefully you're feeling well, safe, and everything is going well. Um, how are you today? <laughs> yeah, great. You know, um, we had some big news today with the CDC uh, adjusting their recommendations for people who are fully vaccinated. So as we've seen for the past more than a year now, um, there is always a COVID, COVID story out there that we're looking to explain. 
Okay. Um, again, I would say thank you on behalf of everyone who's been at home and has been a bit concerned about the state of the world because it's people like you that actually keep us informed of this kind of stuff. And um, in this time, especially, I feel that's really, really important. And you do so many things from, as I like, it reports from what the CDC is publishing to even, I think, publishing the stories or uh, putting it out there, the stories of individuals during this pandemic as well, and how their um, journeys uh, in the last one and a half years have kind of uh, been representative of the stories of what all of us are going through. So once again, thank you very much. But I think like the question we all have in mind is like, how did you even start this journey towards becoming such an amazing person who has um, kind of like the capacity and I would say the ability to actually bring out or uh, manage so many things. I mean, managing a newsroom in the pandemic must have been extremely hard, but I don't think that um, it's something you can learn in one or two years how to do. Like there's no crash course for like uh, media during the pandemic. So it's gotta be you, right? In a sense, that's able to pull everything together. So where did your career in journalism start? Um, were you struck by lightning and suddenly just became a brilliant reporter that was on every, on air or where did it begin? That would be an amazing feat <laughs> if that were the case, but no, I actually, you know, it, it's funny. I think that some people really know they're gonna be journalists the same way that people know they're gonna be any number of things and just go out and do it. Um, I actually thought that I was gonna be a high school music teacher. So um, I, I played music my whole life, have played a bunch of instruments and was sort of heading down that path when it came to colleges, was auditioning for, for music programs in the hopes of becoming an educator. Um, and later on in high school, I was from a small town and we didn't have a school newspaper or anything like that, but I always really loved writing and kind of through word of mouth figured out that one of the town local papers was just looking for people to help out with writing. Um, so I got connected with them and started doing it. And I really liked um, that early and small exposure to kind of what journalism could be. It was a lot of hearing what people were passionate about and hearing, you know, a bunch of different perspectives on an issue and then pulling it all together in a way that made sense to people. Um, and I really, I really liked doing that. So when I went on to college, um, I auditioned for a bunch of music programs, got in, but really loved Ithaca College, which is where I ended up going. Um, and I did not get into the music pro program on the first try. So I re-auditioned and ultimately got in. But um, while I was waiting, I kind of had to declare a major. So I said, you know, I really loved writing. I really am interested in journalism. I think it has a great program. So why don't I just start there and kind of what started as almost a backup major turned into something that I learned that I just loved. I loved the challenge. I loved the pace. Um, I loved kind of working through problems with other staff members on the paper. And that kind of just took over, you know, what my interests were and what I wanted to do. And um, I never kind of returned to <laughs> return to my other options. Okay, you've definitely made every high school music teacher now wonder if they miss their calling in journalism. But that's such a great story. And um, I think that many of us, like, we, we think we want to do something, but then we fall in love with something else in the process of pursuing it. So that is absolutely lovely. And um, one of the things that really fascinated me and, like, why I wanted like, to have you on the show in the first place is I actually saw you were the editor-in-chief of the Ithican, which was your um, award-winning college news uh, paper that was run by the students um, in the college itself. And um, I think that it is so meaningful because here at Penn, we've got so many like student newspapers. We've got a lot of aspiring journalists who get involved in there. And um, from, you, from your point of view, how meaningful was that experience? And what did you take away from that that you felt was invaluable in your career in journalism? Yeah, it really shaped so much of, of what I ended up doing and kind of how I approached, you know, management and leadership. Um, I started out as a reporter there and eventually kind of worked my way up to be editor and editor in chief. Um, and I can't say enough good things about student media because I had so many good classes of professors, learned kind of a lot of the great tools and the theories and and the whys of doing something. But then at the newspaper, I actually got to do it, which is, <laughs> which is the most important part. Um, I learned so much about kind of how to tell a story, but also kind of how to pull it together on a team. You know, we had editors and photographers and reporters and copy editors um, from all different kinds of subject areas and really learning how to get people <laughs> to agree and how to work through challenges. Um, that was really important. Um, 
I think in just in terms of how I approached the rest of my career, um, our college newspaper advisor there was fantastic. And he's a close um, kind of mentor of mine to this day. And one really useful piece of advice he used to tell me was um, it's not it's not necessarily about people liking you. It's about getting people to respect you and sort of having them see you know, your value and your integrity, and they might not always agree with you, but they know that you're, that you're making a good decision or that the decision comes from a really good place. And that was really, I think, instrumental in a lot of the later kind of leadership or management roles that I would have, um, is that especially in a fast paced news environment, there's a lot of feelings, there's a lot of passion, and there's not a lot of time always to kind of, you know, manage everybody's feelings and still get across the deadline. Um, And so that was really important, uh, I think, just in terms of how I think about how to work on a team and how to manage a team. Okay, that that is brilliant advice. And um, I wish someone would have told me that earlier because I feel like one of the things like as a college student or maybe it's just because like as a kid, like we want everyone to, to, to like us in a way. That's like our like at the top of our priority list at many times. And I've been fortunate. I've been able to run a social enterprise and uh, and a company as well, other than Ascendant. So at times I realized that, oh, people are not going to like me in certain decisions. So sometimes you've got to be good cop, bad cop, or be firm in a certain way. So um, it's been a challenge because I feel like that's something that nobody wrote down when you when you learn entrepreneurship. And I'm sure it's the same in the media industry, but it is something that is very important. And um, it's no easy feat to be editor-in-chief anywhere, including an award-winning newspaper, a college paper, so congratulations. But you didn't stop there. You went on and you did um, other amazing things um, post-college in a way. So yes, you were, I think, also president of the Society of Professional Journalists uh, of your college chapter, so congrats. But you actually continued on after that as a reporting, at a, as a reporting intern at USA Today. So how did you even get that internship and um, how did you take the things that you were learning in college and apply it um, in kind of like a real world um, big time news uh, internship? Yeah, so I think, you know, in terms of getting internships, I think a really good piece of advice that I was given is kind of just talk to people, you know, and and see what they've liked and where they've worked. And so I started doing that. I think um, Ithaca had sent a few interns to USA Today before, so they were sort of familiar um, on that front. But in a lot of the other internships I had over the years, it was kind of just talking to people, hearing about what they liked and didn't like, and just kind of getting on their radar in terms of somebody who's curious and wants to learn. Um, at, at USA Today, I was on the health and science desk, which is not necessarily something that I had a lot of background in. Um, I wasn't really sure about it. I was really interested in health, but didn't really have <laughs> a good place to start. I think what I really learned there was seeing how, you know, the environment that at Ithaca, you know, was big for a student newspaper, but in the in the reality was like quite small, how that looked when it was, you know, a Nash, one of the biggest national newspapers in the country with hundreds of staff members who were all kind of doing different things at the same time. It was, you know, my team was one of many, many, many who were all contributing to this product. So I think that just being used to an environment like that and kind of seeing how, what it takes to get an idea from idea to print or idea to um, the web was really useful for me. Um, I think that one big thing I took away from that is just how important it is to be an advocate for your own ideas, your own research or your own sources um there's there's kind of nobody who's going to sit there and say like your idea is good keep going like keep pursuing it you kind of really have to seek that out and i think through all internships um, in journalism one really good takeaway is just is just seeing how that process works and learning how to articulate or pitch your idea to somebody in a way that kind of lets them say, okay, like you can give this a try or like, yeah, I think that that's a good way to approach this. So I think that's a really valuable part of internships for people who are looking to pursue this. Do do you still remember one of those first few ideas that you pitched that kind of like came into fruition and like how you actually got into it or? Uh, I wish I remembered one more specifically. (laughs) Then that. Yeah, you know, there was, I remember just doing a lot of research into, um, you know, you know what, I can't even remember it right now. I I do remember that one idea that I had that 
um, was a little bit of a challenge and kind of took a long time to complete was actually at the Chronicle of Higher Education. Um, I had pitched a story um, based on some people I was talking to about um, a lab at the at a university that was kind of working on self-driving cars for visually impaired um, people to learn how to drive. And I really wanted to do a video and there were all kinds of logistical challenges with kind of making that happen and what sets this research apart from other research that's already been done and um, you know, how are we making this distinct from other coverage? And that was a story that kind of took a long time, but um, was, was worth it. I got to go and sort of film and be in the car when those people were doing the test drives in the parking lot and things like that. Um, so that was a really valuable learning experience. Wait, so it was really a self-driving car though? So they it was it was sort of it, by self-driving, I mean that like the, the they could drive it with with assistance. So it hasn't reached it hasn't reached the market yet. It's not quite like the self-driving cars that we see from Tesla or anything, but it was the early parts of the, the technology that could let people who are visually impaired sort of have some technology assistance in getting around. Um, so that it was really interesting. Honestly, that's even more cooler. And the fact that you were there was amazing. And um, you, you mentioned you did this while you were interning at the uh, Chronicle for Higher Education, which is really cool as well. It's just that I've got to ask, the first internship you had was on health and science. And then now you've got like Chronicle of Higher Education. Did you do this deliberately? Like I'm just going to go to like as many fields as I can. <laughs> focus I think, yeah, I think some good advice that I got and something that I've always just had kind of naturally is just really being open to any kind of opportunity, even if it, I'm not sure that I'm going to be good at it or I'm not sure that it's a right fit, because I, I really think you learn a lot from the things that you do that you then <laughs> discover are not for me. You're like, I'm not very good at this. Or like, I don't want to be doing this. I think that that's hugely valuable because it helps you really put into perspective what you do want to do. Um, so kind of at the outset, I was, I was, especially as a young journalist, I was really not picky <laughs> or particular about kind of what I was reporting on um, or where I was even doing it necessarily. What I, what I kind of just wanted was the experience. And I figured you know, most times internships are three months. In one case, I had one that was six, but you know, that's a very short amount of time um, in the grand scheme of, you know, a year or several years um, that, that my career would be. And so I think that um, that's especially in today's media environment when platforms are changing so quickly and we're discovering new ways to tell stories. I think that, you know, the core fundamentals, the tools that I mentioned earlier, how to tell a story, how to report, all that kind of stuff are really core competencies. But exactly what those stories look like, I think, um, you know, are going to change. And as a manager, even now in my career, that's conversations that we have all the time is it, are we telling these stories the right way? And are we telling them in the right places? And what do those look like? And we should try this thing out. And so in some ways, you know, that kind of train of thought or thinking hasn't really changed from when I started it as a journalist. Like you, I still have to be open to those kinds of things. I still kind of need to learn how to do some of those things, um, which is part of what I love about this. But I think that that really helped me have a lot of different sort of experiences. And some things I learned, I really like this, or I'm really good at this. And other things I was like, okay, maybe, maybe that shouldn't be the core focus of what I do in journalism forever. But every everything kind of led me to another opportunity. And I think that's what mattered most. Okay, that is very, very cool. And um, you did some amazing features, uh, I'm sure. And speaking about one opportunity to another, I think like one opportunity or one thing that you did that was very different from most journalists that I've read about at the very least. I can't say that I've met many, but um, you actually were also a script coverage writer for I think an author, you were I think helping them see if they could turn their book into a script and um, putting it out there. Why again did you choose this? Because like I didn't like <laughs> it's cool, it's really cool, don't get me wrong. But like how did you decide that you know what today I'm just gonna do something completely different, completely exciting? Again, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, again, it was kind of an old editor of mine, an internship, sort of knew that I was about to be looking for work and had a friend of a friend who needed um, assistance on this front. And I've always really liked creative projects. Um, I can write and that's sort of what they said they needed. So I kind of just said, okay, let's let's try this out. Um, and it did give me a, a good insight just into the other part of 
kind of the storytelling process. Like usually the, I was used to being the one telling the story. This was sort of more like taking somebody else's story and figuring out how to convince other people that it was good, um, which is a really nice kind of pitching exercise for people that, you know, then go on to try to sell, you know, editors on the fact that their ideas are good or that they have a good lead or whatever the case might be. And so I kind of saw the opportunity in there to, to build a skill that, you know, I may or may not need in the future, um, but it would at least be worthwhile to explore. And what was the most unexpected thing that you learned from this, or like the thing that that blew your mind in a sense? Was it the whole how to like pitch someone else's idea part, or was it something else that you felt that um, was very valuable and helped you see the diversity of all these experiences? Yeah, I think I think it was just, you know, the novelty of doing something different. I think it's it also taught me kind of a lot about just, um, you know, knowing who your audience is, what what might be one really interesting to one person might not be interesting to another person, which, you know, in the publishing world or in, in journalism, it's all about kind of, you know, knowing what that outlet is that you're pursuing or the outlet where you work sort of what their audience is, what their values are, um, how they tell stories and how you know, even how somebody would pitch a story to the New York Times would be very different than how they would pitch it to CNN, or at least those two places would kind of approach the same story differently. And so keeping in mind, and this is something I think that you don't necessarily, again, know off the bat, because there's a way that journalism taught, and then there's a way that is practiced, and then there's a way that is practiced in different places. It's, it's learning kind of on the job or like in real time, sort of keeping in, that audience in mind and keeping somebody's approach in mind um, when you're reporting or when you're pitching, um, that oftentimes kind of makes or breaks a pitch when you're trying to get it through. Okay, that that's very brilliant. And I and another thing that I think after this experience, you also became, uh, or you actually started at um, Patch.com. You, I think, I believe, was an editor, and then later you became, I think, an associate regional editor. So you grew in that amazingly. And Patch.com, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, quite hyper focused on like specific communities and things like that. So there's one area of kind of like pitching the story to an editor and getting it published, and then there's the other kind of flip side on does this community um, engage with this news? So yeah. I feel like there are two elements. How do you balance that and, and also share with us a little bit of your time um, working on kind of like very focused news stories? Does that play a part in this? Yeah, I loved working in local news and I think that every journalist should spend time in local news because you get to see the really real impact of your work and your reporting. Um, you, of course, see that to some degree when you're reporting on things on Capitol Hill or, or when you're reporting things on national level. But, you know, the feedback you get on that is from your sources or from, you know, people whose communities are affected by what you just wrote about when you're a local reporter you know, you write about the school board meeting and then you go to the grocery store and somebody pulls you aside and says, you know, hey, I saw your story and either it was great or I have some issues with it and I'm gonna tell you what they are right now in the produce aisle. And, and you kind of get to see and live that in real time, um, which is exactly what my experience was. Um, at the time it was a startup. And so we were all kind of launched into these communities with, with nothing. I mean, the, the website didn't exist. We built those. We kind of built our social media accounts. We we built, um, you know, newsletters and and communities and got freelancers. Um, and I, I had that experience in somewhere where I wasn't super familiar with the area where I didn't grow up. And so it was even more important for me to just like get out there and talk to people, um, which was a really great lesson in kind of building sources and how to find stories, which is like you just go out and you do it. Um, and so that was a really valuable experience in that way. I think, you know, it is, especially when you're kind of so close to that, um, your reporting or when you're kind of within that community, it does become difficult for some people to kind of say, well, you know, how much am I swayed by reader response? How much am I swayed by editors? I think that what you what you really just need to make sure of is that you're you're getting all sides of the story and that you're presenting it as accurately as possible. Um, and you know, oftentimes that's not done in a single story. You know, that there was no single end all be all story on a school board debate. There was no end all be all story on um, even something as simple as like a fire or a big police incident or something like that. So you do the best you can at the time, but then also the follow through is really important too. So 
somebody might complain about the way that I cover the school board, but then have some ideas or, you know, advice for other things I could look into. And, you know, I would do that and follow up and kind of talk to people. And it's sort of an evolving relationship. And I, and I do kind of think bigger picture, even with our audience now working at a national news outlet, it, it is sort of a relationship where we're telling stories because people allow us to tell their stories, but we're also kind of looking at issues over the time. So things like climate change, things like the protest um, over George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis, um, all those kinds of issues, they are spot stories and they are breaking news in the moment, but they also change over time. And so, you know, the follow through, all that kind of stuff, you learn really well um, by covering local communities and local stories and just seeing how communities and people change over time. And those are lessons that you can definitely bring to all kinds of audiences. You know, I think that that is very important. And, and I have to ask, and I ask this in a local setting because um, I think like when you are involved in a community, it's even more scary. Someone can literally just, again, see you in a grocery line and be like, hey. So in that context, in a sense, how important do you feel it is to, um, sometimes, you know, you may have a different opinion from what's the general consensus, or you see a side of the story that maybe others don't see, or they don't um, willingly believe or subscribe to, in a sense. How important is it then to tell your version of the story versus telling people what they want to hear? Because again, you don't want to get cornered in the grocery store, but you also want to be authentic to yourself. Yeah, I think you have to stay true to the story um, and, and people might disagree with that. And of course, your own experiences, um, you know, shape the way that you might approach the story and might shape who you talk to. But as long as you're doing your due diligence and do I really understand this enough? Like, how would I explain it to somebody if I was talking to them in a conversation? What questions do people have about this? Kind of going through that list with yourself saying, you know, going through it as if you're hearing it for the first time and and just asking a bunch of questions. I think then taking those exhaustive questions and turning them to other people, if you're doing all that legwork to really understand and really talk to people, then that's going to be reflected in, in the story that gets put out. Okay, that is very true, I'd say. And um, again, you didn't just stop at community news. You wrote for a magazine, the Smithsonian. Um, that's a bit different as well, right? Like um, on one side you work for the community and the other side now, instead of kind of like being focused on the community itself, you're focused on this whole um, kind of like arts and history angle in a sense. So how do you keep your mind flexible enough to I think juggle so many things? And what do you think is the big difference between the two or there's some shared elements in a sense? Yeah, I think, you know, you you look for things that are new or unusual or a departure from what people expect. That's that's kind of, you know, part of what interests people. And so that's kind of a, a current thread of whatever you're going to look at. Um, I think that, you know, when you're thinking about arts and history, um, kind of new information, something that maybe shed something in a new light or something that reveals something you didn't know before or hadn't thought about before, or sharing stories that people aren't familiar with um, that comes into play with a lot of conversations we've had over the last decade or so about you know who who was remembered in museums who was remembered through monuments um, kind of asking those kinds of questions are all really important too uh, when it comes to writing for magazines obviously the the news pace isn't quite um, isn't quite as uh, <laughs> Yeah, hectic as it can be in the breaking news environment, but you, you do still want to stay relevant and you do kind of still want people to feel like you're hitting on kind of what's what's happening or what people are talking about. Um, and so I think that that's another thing that um, people may not understand about, you know, magazines or news magazine programs like where I work now, you know, it, it is kind of a chance to take a step back and put things into broader perspective, but you also want you want to feel relevant to people. Um, so that's that's always a good learning experience too. And how do you actually tackle that? Because again, the news moves so fast and then like you cover a story today, but then right when your issue is about to hit publish, someone discovers the cure for cancer. And then now you're like, ah, I should put that in instead in a sense. So like, how do you actually like tackle that? Have there been situations where you publish something and then by the time it's gone to print, kind of like the circumstances around it has changed or have you always been lucky in a sense that, or good at picking stories that are always hot news in a sense? Yeah, I think that that's always something people grapple with is kind of, you know, when should we publish this? And a lot of times you get that right and sometimes you don't. And with the internet, you know, you can make that 
update transparently and kind of add news updates and add new relevance to it, especially when it comes to how people are finding that story. You know, you can do a lot through SEO or through social media to kind of say like, hey, this is a new thing with a story. You should check it out. Um, a lot of it also is kind of having a lot of ideas that are rolling at the same time. So nobody's ever really just working on one story. Um, you kind of work on a few at a time, have a few different ideas. Some of them might feel more urgent than others, but kind of always keeping your mind running about just, just ideas that you have or, or people that you want to talk to or things that you want to follow up on. Um, as editors especially would tell you, that's really important to kind of not you know, not only having all of your eggs in one basket, kind of having a few things going at a time so that you're not in a position where you're suddenly empty handed. Okay, cool, cool. And um, once again, I think you didn't just do, oh God, you could, you do too many things. If like I backtrack, that's just gonna be like so much. So you didn't just do news, you didn't just do magazines. You also moved into, I think, um, host or like a web producing for a radio show, if I'm not mistaken, at um, WAM, WAMU 88.5 FM, I don't know, but yeah, so I think you were um, in charge of several different shows, the Diane Ram show, um, and that itself is a big deal. So when you made this leap or this transition into um, uh, radio in a way, why did you do it in the first place and how different it is? Because you spend your time like as a journalist and then now suddenly it's like a completely different media format. How did you adjust in a way? Yeah, so it's along the same thread of just being open to opportunities that came my way. Um, I had been through um, a layoff with Patch. They had kind of decided to downsize and got rid of um, all of their associate regional editors at the time, uh, which included me. So again, it was a it was a co colleague of a colleague that knew that they were looking for some part time work um, to fill in for a temporary leave of absence somebody had taken at the company. Um, and, you know, in terms of the audio medium, I'm a musician, so I always kind of was interested, you know, anything that involves kind of sound, um, it interests me. Um, and I thought it was, you know, what I could bring to the table was sort of like a really good understanding of digital and social. And there were really cool stories that were happening. So um, it was something that I decided to take a leap on and also because I, I needed a job. <laughs> so there was that. Um, what was really interesting to me about radio that's different kind of from written stuff or social stuff is that there's really no reference point for people when you're when you're kind of reading a story on your phone or you're clicking through instagram you kind of have visuals you have text and you kind of go wait did i read that right and kind of go back for it with radio and then you know of course there's a version of this for tv too it's sort of you have people hear that one thing and that's it. And so the, the way you write it is a little bit different. You have to kind of make sure that you're delivering succinct information, clear information that people can take away by only hearing once. Um, there is a lot of on-demand radio now, including podcasts. So, you know, some things people can rewind or skip back and listen to again. But in the context of what we were working with, which was live radio, and of course it was also streamed, but, you know, the really primary focus was you know, everything that we that we deliver kind of has to be understood really well in real time. Um, and of course, huge credit to that goes to the hosts that are actually on air delivering that in real time. Um, but it was a really good introduction to sort of a live production in, environment. Um, in breaking news, you are in a sense kind of working in real time and publishing, but it, it, in radio and television, when it's live, it kind of like goes into the world and and just hangs there in real time. And so that was a really interesting um, producing experience to be a part of both both on air and then on the digital side too. Okay, and you mentioned in our previous chats that um, you started off some as kind of like part time, but eventually you grew in the role. Um, I'm sure they loved you at first sight, and then just said like this person should run the show, and you just grew from there in a sense. And you even went up to even like I think preparing the scripts, uh, managing most of the things that was going on, and. Um, Personally, I feel like people like you make the world go around. Like, if if you don't do it, then like <laughs> there's a huge gap in it. But many, um, especially I guess college students, they want to be in the limelight. Or I think many people in general, it's like they assume a career in media is going to be like I'm on camera, I'm the star of the show. But again, it doesn't work if there's no one like you to actually facilitate that growth, to actually write the scripts, brainstorm ideas, and things like that. So uh, how important do you think it is to actually observe in the background and actually um, 
prepare the stage in a sense and set the right stage for people and how do you even put yourself in um kind of like in a hit space where you can actually um write something or actually bring out news and pass it to someone in their own words in a way yeah i think that going back to just taking opportunities having a really good understanding of all parts of the process um, makes you a better journalist and also makes you a better team member because when you're out in the field with people who are responsible for shooting or editing you know you aren't barging in with some unrealistic expectations or or kind of upset that people aren't on a certain timeline because you've been in their shoes and you kind of understand where they're coming from um in terms of like being on camera i think part of that's a personality thing i've never really been um i've always been really like being part of a team and leading a team, but not necessarily, you know, being a star of the show. So part of that, I think, is a personality thing. But I think more increasingly, especially in digital, it's really important. Um, you know, ultimately, you may work in management. Ultimately, you may be a reporter. Ultimately, you may work in social. But understanding kind of what all of your teammates are doing lets you play your role better. Um, that's part of why at the News Hour right now, our um, internship program, which we call the News Assistant Program, long before I got there, the whole premise of it was to kind of rotate people through all the different desks um, while they were there. So that they kind of had that exposure to the entire way that the show works. And in terms of my own career, I think that um, all these different at times seemingly random roles um, kind of gave me a really good sense of how all these different parts of a news organization could work. So now when I'm in the position of being an editor and kind of bringing all these different teams together, um, I'm not the most technically skilled video editor, but I do know how to do it. And I kind of know what makes a good video and I can at least understand where the video producers are coming from so that we're all trying to make a project. You know, I, I can be realistic with them. I can help them communicate realistic expectations to the team. Um, so especially if, you know, you aren't sure which path exactly you want to take, or if you do sort of want to be involved in, in management or leadership at any point, I think not even having extensive experience or knowledge in kind of each area, but at least some sort of baseline exposure to it um, is really useful. And you can even do that in roles that don't necessarily offer that, you know, if you're a social media producer, at your first job um, out of college and you work in a newsroom, you can ask a reporter that you that you learn or um, I should say warm up to over time, you know, hey, can I can I listen in on this call or can I go out with you on an assignment? Um, you know, I have some ideas and I want to see how you do your job. There are all kinds of informal ways to do that, even if it's not, you know, part of your formal job description or even if it's not an internship that you get off the bat. That is very powerful. Like, don't just do your job for the sake of doing it, but really go out there and kind of like explore what things have to offer. And you mentioned this a couple of times on um, being open to opportunities. And I feel like many times it's like there are opportunities and I myself am guilty to this. It's just that I'm kind of like blinded by, I would say, my a one track mind. of Oh, this is my job in a sense. I've got to get this done that I don't see that I could actually like do what you said. Just go out, like check out, check in with people who actually do different things. Ask them if I could sit in for some of their meetings and things like that. And I think that goes for all fields. Like it's something so important that I think that we can all kind of like apply in our lives. And um, you also mentioned like, again, I, I feel really bad for the media in a sense that every time a recession or something or a crisis hits in a sense, it's like there are downtimes as in any industry. So there are times where people get retrenched, where uh, it's hard to find a job and things like that. But um, you seem to come out stronger at every turn of you know, of the crises and things like that. And you mentioned that um, it's really important to be open opportunities, but it's also uh, important to build these relationships. So in an industry where everything is changing really fast, um, how do you actually um, build connections? I'd say, I, I don't like saying build connections, but I would, or I'd say meet the right people or be the friends with the right people. Like, do we all have to be born from birth next to the crib of someone else? <laughs> and successful or is there another way in a sense yeah yeah that is how some movies start um but yeah. in, in most of our cases we aren't that lucky so I would say really the advice that I got and the advice that I give is is anytime you're approaching these kinds of connections and relationships like really be genuine about it like if you're not interested in what somebody's doing or you don't particularly like them like you don't you know you don't have to force a conversation <laughs> or force coffee with them like it's okay you know, don't just make it a transactional relationship where you like clearly want something from somebody, but then kind of don't reciprocate. Um, I think that a lot of great relationships can start in college. I'm in touch with a, with a lot of the people who 
I served on the college newspaper with, and we've all helped each other over the years kind of with ideas or tips or like, hey, let me look at your resume. So that's just kind of one place to start. Um, within your workplace, I think is another another great opportunity with people at your level, but people kind of across teams, um, you know, getting to know them, like I said, kind of asking questions about their job, offering them ideas. Um, you know, when you do that often enough, kind of in the course of your day to day work, those relationships kind of exist naturally after you leave that place of employment, too. Um, especially in in the kind of age of, of media we're in right now, there are so many opportunities to connect um, over kind of just journalism issues. There's all kind of all kinds of affinity groups for journalists. There's you know online news associations, society of professional journalists, kind of professional organizations that bring people together around issues or standards or that sort of thing. Um, and those are really great places where you know conferences or training sessions. Um, you can really connect with people too. And on the note of training sessions, I think, you know, Pointer and um, a lot of kind of journalism organizations uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere to really offer consistent training to journalists um, to try to let them advance, even if it's not in their workplace or through, you know, an internship or another opportunity. So seeking out those kinds of opportunities um, will lead to some really good connections um, as well. And just just be open and curious and, you um, and willing to talk to people about their experiences. I think that, you know, even if it doesn't lead to a job, you know, it's always just good to pick people's brains about what's happening. There's there's a consistent group of people I kind of go to um, who I met through uh, sort of a women's leadership um, academy fellowship that I did a few years ago. And we're kind of all in different roles in newsrooms across the country. And even just having people there to say, hey, this happened in our newsroom today you know, have you guys had this experience and what are you doing about it? Even that kind of um, support from your peers is really important, especially in an industry like journalism that can really be um, tumultuous and traumatic at times, having people who kind of understand your job and might have some similar experiences or advice is really important, even kind of you know, there's the connections and job part of it, but there's also the consistent support part of it. Um, this is true of a lot of different industries, you know, the medical industry, a bunch of different sort of industries, but I think particularly for, for journalism is one of those industries that like some people just don't understand, um, including members of your own family or people of your own friend group and having that kind of support network to kind of encourage you to, to keep going or help you work through problems on the job can be really powerful too. Okay, I I completely agree, and I love that part about like it's not just about don't don't speak to people to build connections. Don't make it something tra transactional in a sense. It's genuinely caring for people and genuinely in a sense being there for them as well. That I think um that it'll come back around in some way or another. But like you know what they say, the paradox of doing good if you focus too much on um, getting an a, an agenda done or getting an objective met, then you end up not meeting that objective. But if you just go with the flow, genuinely be a good person in a sense overall, it comes back. And um, you mentioned something that I've personally um, seen and is one of the reasons why I am in awe with a lot of journalists is um, it is a very taxing job. Like um, it is something that the news never sleeps in a sense. So someone is doing something somewhere which is either sensational or that needs to be put out in the public. So it's like reporters, I, I've seen some of them, they go back to back on events, back to back on stories. They work really hard, um, pull all nighters to keep things going. And as someone who has been in that position in um, everything from roles in radio, TV, magazines, uh, breaking news, and then now today you are a managing editor. How do you kind of like um, manage your team to make sure that there's no burnout, to make sure that the, you bring out the best in them? And at the same time, you meet this very fast paced uh, deadlines or fast paced track that the news uh, industry demands of you. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, I'm still learning and that it's a work in progress and it's it's really hard to to avoid burnout. But I think that a good thing is that there's been really an increasing amount of recognition around the issue of burnout and around the issue of, of mental health support and all that kind of stuff. So 
as a leader of my team, I really try to encourage people towards that. Um, I'm really strong proponent of time off and also of when people are off actually being off, not sort of casually checking their email or checking Slack, you know, every few hours when I personally personally take time off, I shut notifications off. um, And I, and I tell my team that, and I hope that it sets an example for, for what they're able to do when they do have time off. Um, I think that we try to communicate when something is going to be sort of a, a sprint or when it's gonna be an intense news period and then follow up with people to make sure that they're getting time off. And of course, that also involves checking in with people along the way, even, even in intense news periods, um, because those can be challenging for people for anyone really, depending on the the time and the circumstance. So um, it's it's by no means a perfect science, and we have no by no means cracked the code. But we we've tried to be especially conscious of that in the past year, with when the pandemic you know has has crawled into all of our lives and has sort of changed the way that we all work, not just in journalism, but it's kind of changed the way everybody operates. And that's, you know, work has become home and homes become work for a lot of people. And that's kind of introduced another layer of challenges to the issue of, of burnout and time off and support. Um, but I am encouraged, you know, over the past, I would say three or four years, I've seen more conversations about that than I ever have before. Um, not that I have spent a super long time in journalism, but I think that that we're moving in the right direction. And it, it's going to take time to really kind of figure figure out what that looks like in every newsroom. But I, I think it's something that we need to keep figuring out um, in order to really keep the best people. Yeah. And as you said, it's not just for the news. I think it's for every career there is out there. And um, another thing that you mentioned is in this pandemic, it's it's just been, I, I, the way I've communicated to people is just as we've all lived through an apocalypse and now we've come out of it in a sense. And now we've got to like re-engage with the real world in a sense. And, some, and earlier we mentioned that some of us are in different parts of uh, countries, different parts of uh, uh, the world. Sometimes even if you're in the same city, life is very different for different people in this pandemic. And one of my favorite parts of this pandemic, I'm not going to lie, is seeing some of the new shows that I used to watch now be filmed from their houses and their couches. That's been, I, I don't know, it's just kind of nice to see everyone's couch and, and be like, oh, you have a couch. I didn't know you you went home. Or I didn't know you had a house in a sense. So it's like, it, it's brought a new, I think, very raw and personal touch to the news. And um, it's gotten, um, but as you said, at that same time, there's this component of um, working from home, which uh, no one really took so seriously before the pandemic. And then now it's become a reality for most organizations. How has it affected the news industry? How has it affected your team in specific, this whole work from home period? And um, is there any lessons or anything that you've done in this pandemic that you want to keep or stay as we transition out of it? Yeah, I think, you know, some things were easier, (laughs) some things were harder. Um, As a digital team, a lot of us were kind of used to working at at weird hours or long hours or kind of just responding to things that were happening in real time. And so in that way, you know, being remote wasn't necessarily all that different than the times that we were home from the office and had to jump online anyway. Um, I would say that it's, I think that we, we kind of had a learning curve in in terms of setting some of those, you know, how do we stagger shifts? How do we stagger when people take time off or when people need time away? Um, How do we change the way that our meetings are structured? And I think that we've, we've tried to be really accommodating of everybody's realities, which is that, you know, some people are dealing with, with pets, some people are dealing with roommates, some people are dealing with families, some people are dealing with trying to care for family that's not near them and need time off to do that. And so I think that everybody's really been flexible in trying to figure that out. Um, I think that it it definitely, in, in a lot of cases, has made us more communicative because we can't just assume that people are in the office at a certain time. We can't just assume that somebody is you know, available to do something. Um, so in terms of just being communicative about deadlines and how we're working, and I think that that's also, again, like I said, like we haven't cracked the code. It's an evolving process, but I think that it was a really good experience to kind of put into perspective, you know, what do we need to be doing in real time? How many people do we need in a meeting? How many people don't we need in a meeting? Um, what what do we miss about working in person in the office? What, you know, what do we take away from this to, to how we work going forward? And I think that that's going to continue, not just for us, but for all kinds of industries over the next few months and years. Okay. Yep. 
and um, as you said, you guys are a digital media, a media newsroom, and I think that um, that is the future, or it is the reality, which I think the future has kind of arrived, and now we're living in this very digital, um, savvy world. And um, I remember during the beginning of the pandemic, way in like um, I'd say March to July 2020, there was this article that came out, or there's this headline where it said that Amazon had run out of um, podcast mics. So they are at home, man, and it's because everyone, no, I'm serious. I read this and I was like, oh my God. I had just started this radio show and I was like, I'm not buying a mic. It's like, I can't now, it's, but anyway, so it is, a, we are running in, into like um, new ways of expressing ourselves. And one of the things is this format of digital media just keeps changing so much. Like um, for a while there was buying, but before I could even jump on that, it died. And then now it's like, we've got TikTok and then like, who knows how long that's going to last or if it doesn't last. So it's very unpredictable. And then if everything goes well, a pandemic happens. So it's like, how do you deal with it? And with the influx of people being on social media, with being on digital media and trying to get involved. Um, from your point of view, as someone who's been very central in this industry, what is your view on the whole transition online with these new formats coming up? And um, do you like it when people start their own podcasts? Or are you just like, hmm, amateurs? Like... I love, I love when anybody starts their own podcast. Um, I think, you know, that if, if more people want to get out there and tell more stories, that that's, that's a great path towards getting more stories out there. Um, you know, I think in terms of, of where people are doing what at what times, I think that like we try to pay attention to what our audience is doing and what are they responding to and what aren't they responding to. Um, and that was really informative for us in terms of, you know, should we be doing more on YouTube, so should we do stuff on TikTok? Um, we, we kind of look at what people are responding to and, and try to act accordingly. I would also say, and I say this constantly to reporters as well, when we're talking about what stories to do, I always ask, you know, what are you seeing? What are you interested in? What is what is your behavior on Instagram? You know, what are you stopping to click through and what are you scrolling past because you're you don't want to waste your time on it? I think that just taking the hat off for a minute and thinking as a as a consumer is really helpful because if you're not going to read it or watch it or stop for it, then then why would somebody else do that? Um, and so I think that we really, you know, one important part of being a journalist, I think, is really reading a lot and consuming a lot and just seeing, not even just being read up on kind of what the news is, but just seeing what different possibilities are out there. You know, who is creating cool stuff and what can you learn from them? Or how is an organization starting, you know, a new video series and what can you learn from them? I think that sort of just having an awareness and a curiosity um, about everything else that's being produced out there ultimately leads back to your own ideas and your own changes. So that's something that we really stress a lot too, is, is sort of what are you seeing, what excites you, and how do we apply that to what we're doing here? Okay, that's very cool. And again, I think that's sound advice for any industry. I personally scroll through my Insta stories, I skip everyone's story, and then I go for the ads. So like whenever I'm bored, I just try to read ads and I'm like, why would someone put this ad up? feel in a sense and that's, and that's actually been super helpful for like my my brain when I actually run my business because I, I have a little bit of input and I think like um that's one of the best ways to learn because if people are paying money to run ads then like there's something that they they feel yeah. they're doing at the very right. least. so good info in a sense and I, and I love that part about it. it's kind of like um there's opportunity to learn in everything even if I'm scrolling down Instagram and like as someone who wants to um, share stories. It's, it is something that I can learn from. So I'm going to scroll more carefully and with a lot more mindfulness than any time someone points out I spend too much time on Instagram. It's <laughs> market research. And um, <laughs> you are, uh, you produce podcasts as well. Uh, recently, or not recently, I did, but you did um, produce a podcast, I think, called The Longest Year um, that tells the stories, um, I think, in this very, very long year. I still feel it's March 2020, and I'm a bit shocked that it's not. Yeah, so <laughs> why did you choose to do this podcast? And um, how have you seen it impact those who are in this pandemic, in a sense? Yeah, so we have a really small podcast team um, at the News Hour, and when this all started, I think we, like everybody else, were sort of just figuring out, you know, how do we get to people? How do we tell stories? And sort of the one thing that we figured out really quickly how to do, you know, our podcast producer, my fellow editor, and, and the whole team was, you know, we can still we can still connect with people, and and audio in some ways um, is is 
not, I don't want to say easier, but it's one thing that you can get that kind of transcends the weirdness that we're in. Um, you know, a, a lot of times if we're communicating stories through audio, we can, we can create it in a way that doesn't rely on visuals and people might feel a little bit more comfortable um, sharing their stories in that way as opposed to some other ways. Um, and as the, as the early days of the pandemic rolled on, we all sort of were thinking to ourselves, like, what, you know, what are people doing right now? How are people going to school? How are people going to work or not working? What kind of choices are people having to make? What is it like to get sick with this? And, and all of this kind of led us back to the idea of sort of constructing podcast episodes. I, I think that it's just a really intimate way to kind of get people to share their stories. And it also gives you a little bit more time um, and flexibility to, to play around with the way that you're telling the story because we did it, um, the whole series was, was a year long and then we kind of capped off with that um, last four week mini series um, that kind of wrapped up our, our pandemic coverage. But it, we put it out an episode roughly every other week um, and that kind of gave us enough time to offer people, you're, you know, you're not gonna get exactly the up to, up, up to the minute coronavirus news. Um, like we're not here to give you the case counts or anything like that, but this is something a little bit different. It takes a little bit of step back. It, it focuses on the stories of people. And in every case, you know, almost every case, it was just somebody experiencing something that a lot of people were experiencing at that kind of the same time. And I think that's powerful. I think seeing yourself, or in this case, hearing yourself um, in in media coverage is, is important because especially in in a very isolating time, you know, it's, it's connecting people over very human experiences. And in a lot of cases, exposing you to an experience that you're not having. And, and that broadens your understanding of what's happening too. Um, and, and this was kind of a way that we were able to do that in a way that was a little bit different from what other people were doing, um, and, and that was still possible in the in the weird kind of remote, isolated world that we were all living in. Yeah, yeah. and there have been so many podcasts by your team that um, are absolutely brilliant in my point of view. Um, I listened to a couple of them this year, uh, America Interrupted, and um, you don't just um, buy a podcast, my can record things. I think you guys are very creative with it. Um, I, I, I listened to a few where you start with this old tiny sound bite from some of them from a previous interview you get sound effects in this little like music in the background so um it's it's lovely i would say and um if you did buy a mic from amazon well spent i'd say but, um, <laughs> that news blew my mind but anyway um i think that you do it in a very creative way. You do it in a way that's very professional, that really brings out the emotion, that really puts people in the shoes of, of your interviewees in a sense, which is beautiful and is very well done, I'd say. But that obviously also shows the experience that you've had in kind of like um, the different types of media and what works and what engages them. So I'd say um, for someone like you who has so much experience from, again, from hometown newspapers to hyper-local uh, focus on communities, uh, coverage, uh, to even magazines, TV, web radio. What makes a good idea? Because we've all got uh, ideas, but what actually separates the good ideas that make it and the good ideas that don't? Yeah, I think some at the basic level, you know, some news is news that everybody's telling, right? Like when there is a fire or a shooting or when the CDC revises its guidance, everybody's telling that story. That's kind of just bread and butter. You have to do it. It's informative for people. It's getting really important information out there. So that's kind of the, the baseline day to day um, coverage. I would say what I like to stress a lot to people is that is that stories start as ideas, but what really gets you somewhere is a pitch and, an, and a pitch is basically an idea with, with a plan, right? So you need to kind of, in, in terms of our newsroom, what's really nice is that we are a national newsroom, but we are not, we are not huge. You know, we're a pretty small national team. And so we kind of have to be choosy about, you know, we have limited resources. What are we really going, what are we going to do today? Um, and I think for us, you know, and this is again, knowing your brand, knowing your audience, for us, people expect the news in context. So what kind of new information are we getting or how are we making people understand this in a different way? And that's like a really strong thread that runs through all of our stories. So when we talk about 
kind of what do we do now versus what do we do later? Uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of we have ideas that kind of are running consistently in the background. So maybe it's, we're not pursuing this today, but that's something that we're going to still work towards. Um, I would say for, you know, in terms of just people trying to push their ideas for a story to do now, really having a good sense of why now, <laughs> um, who you're going to talk to, what kind of new that you're bringing to the table, and that could be in information or in format. I think all of those things are really important for kind of advancing the conversation or making your your idea stand out as something that needs to be um, pursued now in that specific way by you. Okay. And with that, I think um, for everyone who's watching, if you're an aspiring journalist, if you are a journalist, if you have no idea what journalism even means, I think that there's so much that you can take away from not just your last response, but from this whole interview. Um, you have been um, truly amazing and I'm very humbled to get this opportunity to chat with you on air. So thank you so much for agreeing to this interview once again and for sharing so much amazing insight for all of us. It's not been an easy time, but I think talking to people like you makes us at least hopeful or excited for what lies ahead. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And with that, thank you to our lovely audience as well. Uh, this has been another episode of Changing Reality. And um, we'll be back again uh, 10 p.m. EST every Thursday night. See you guys next week with another amazing episode of how people like our lovely guest speaker today are changing the world in the little ways that all of us can. So till then, bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.